Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, this week I'm pleased to be joined by Gary Williams. You've heard him for many, many years, uh, for a decade on Golf Channel's Morning Drive. You hear him now on the radio, Series XM PGA Tour Radio, all over a lot of their platforms. He does have a Five Clubs podcast as well you can check out. Gary Williams loves the game. So much shared passion. You'll hear in this uh, interview here, between whether it's Scotland, St. Andrews, so much we love about Augusta, and just looking ahead to 2022, uh, what are the players that we're really looking forward to? Of course, Tiger Woods and what's going on with the father-son PNC Challenge, and Charlie, we get into that for sure as well. So a lot of fun stuff with Gary. Before we get to that, Encore Golf, check out their website, EncoreGolf.com. They're engineered to outperform when it comes to golf balls. Shop their award-winning Avant 55, the Elixir, as well as the game-changing Vero X1. That is a ball that I've been using for over a year, and I love the combination of the feel around the grains and, of course, distance off the tee. It's what we all love, right? We need that combo. It elevates your game with unique products, technologies, and experience. This is where it's at, EncoreGolf.com. You can use my promo code B, the letter B, Clubhouse, and get 10% 10% off on your next online purchase with Encore Golf. All right, let's get to it. Gary Williams here on Beyond the Clubhouse. All right, we are joined by my next guest, one of my favorite people in golf, Gary Williams. You hear him on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio. He also has a podcast, Five Clubs Podcast, and it's awesome in the way it brings in conversation with different people, whether it's Eamon Lynch and Jaime Diaz at the same time. Or Paul Azinger and Dan Hicks. I mean, some of the great duos in golf. He's able to facilitate the conversation, which is great. But Gary, how are you doing today, buddy? Garrett, I'm doing exceptionally well. Happy holidays to you, your family. Um, you know, this is it's an interesting time because we're, you know, who would have thought that we would be, you know, really interested to the degree that we are in the father-son, and then also kind of reflecting on the year that was and and now looking ahead to a new year that that offers up something that maybe we didn't think was going to be the case. And that is Tiger maybe playing competitive golf. It's a good time. Yeah, no, we'll definitely get to, into Tiger in a few minutes here. I did want to talk to you about your podcast because there's so much conversation. You talked about reflecting on 2022. You had some, some guys when it comes to Eamon Lynch and Jaime Diaz on at the same time, reflecting on the Ryder cup and just, the format of that show, I, I love how you are able to drive these conversations. Like kind of what is the, the thought process behind having some of these uh, multiple guests? I, I love it. Thank you. I, you know, really with my partners and, and what we're trying to create, you know, I joined a sports marketing firm called Signature Sports Group, which is based here in Charlotte where I'm living now. And they've got 25 years of, of doing really good work in a lot of different areas, whether it was college football, NASCAR, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, but they've never had any presence in golf. So what we've done is we've created the media platform, which is five clubs. And then, but we also have a, a marketing arm and, and uh, an event creation and event management uh, group as well. So it's, it's more than just me doing the podcast, but the podcast specifically and the platform 
is is kind of my baby. And for me, you know, Garrett, one of the things like you, I, you know, I love conversation and I love uh, the conversation about something you and I both value, and that's the game of golf. So one of the things that I do each week is, is have a long form conversation. I, yes, it, it has an interview kind of, uh, you know, the mechanics of it, but I, I'd like it to be more of a conversation. And I, I don't really give a lot of advance information to the people that I'm going to you know, bring on the show They're They, you know, they, they know how to speak. And so that's kind of what we've done. We, we were very lucky. We started with Phil and, you know, to, to get Mickelson for, you know, 45 minutes was a great way to launch. And that's kind of the aspiration is to get people in the industry of golf who are very thoughtful, who love talking about something that we, we care greatly about. That's the game. No, that's really exciting. It's with the format of, of your show and of your podcast and, and the guests too, you start with Phil Mickelson and then you, you just had Randall Chambly, one of your old coworkers at golf channel on. So there's just so much different insight you hear from, from a lot of your friends from the game. Yeah. And I, you know, the thing that, um, that I love is that, you know, to have the autonomy like you do to some degree to, to, you know, whatever it is that we do. And if we want to edit it, fine. If we don't fine, uh, let it live in the, in the manner in which uh, it was conducted. And what we're doing is it, it's we're going to build out a roster of contributors. And so next week, uh, the guy who's going to be joining five clubs uh, is going to be on the show. And that's Jay Billis. Now, everybody knows Jay from college basketball, but Jay is insane about the game of golf. <laughs> uh, he's got he's got an incredible, incredible intellect. And so he's going to be contributing starting in January, giving his perspective on the game. He has done uh, things for the USGA. Uh, he's, he's a member at a couple of pretty special places. And he, he, he plays the game and consumes the game at an outrageous level. And then Gil Hans is also going to start contributing to five clubs as well. So he will be giving his perspective on the game. And yeah, a lot of it will probably be rooted in, in, you know, his viewpoint from a design standpoint. Um, but that's what we want. We want to have varying viewpoints. And all of these people have the autonomy to choose uh, the subject matter and how they want to utilize the time that they have. So I'm excited about, you know, the beginning of it and, and building out a roster of contributors that are, are going to be part of what is what we want to call a continuing conversation about the game of golf. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you mentioned Jay Billis. I have to ask you then, is there a favorite memory on the golf course having been around Jay? <laughs> I've mentioned over the years, right? Uh, yeah, my, I, I've got quite a few, but my, the one that, that stands out that is, I just, I always go back to it. We were playing, we, we played a great deal of golf, um, you know, from like 2000 to 2008, because I was doing a local morning radio show in Charlotte. And when he was not in season, he played every day. So I was off the air at 10 o'clock. So we played a ton of golf. We were both members at a place called Carolina Golf Club at the time. And it was an old Donald Ross. And the ninth hole, you play right toward this modest little clubhouse. But, but the clubhouse, the front of the clubhouse is the front of the men's grill. And everybody sits in there. And so you can see people playing the ninth hole in the green literally is like right there. <laughs> It's like, like Oakmont, right? Like Oakmont number yes, nine. <laughs> yes. And so exactly. 
So he, he was playing well and he hit a three iron and it, it, the parking lot was just to the right. It landed in the parking lot. It's out of bounds. He retees, he pumps another one into the parking lot and he tomahawked his three iron. There were woods adjacent to the ninth oh tee <laughs> and, the, and the three iron stayed up in the tree. And so he spent like 20 minutes trying to get this, <laughs> this club out of the tree. I'm like, Jay, we've got groups behind us. We got to go. So we wound up, we finished our round and he wound up having to go out there. And there were a couple of Duke sycophants who were hanging around the club that, that climbed up in the tree and got the three iron out of the tree. So that, that is, that is absolutely among my favorite Jay Billis golf stories. And what was his reaction to that when they brought it back down? <laughs> oh, he, he was just, I mean, he was, he appreciated the fact that he had some fans who were willing to risk life and limb just to get his, his precious little three iron back to him. <laughs> must, life must be good to be Jay Billis. What, what a exactly. story. <laughs> hey, so you did obviously mention Tiger Woods, which is great. This, this story with him and Charlie playing on the father's son right now. What do you take away so far from the images we've seen, it's Friday morning as we're recording this Friday afternoon or early afternoon. What are we taking away so far? A great start. Uh, he seems to be dialed in, hitting fairways. I mean, what, what, what are we supposed to take away from this? I, what, I, what I think we should take away is that, um, I, and I would imagine I haven't heard him speak yet today, uh, but that, you know, this is a blessing. The fact that he is well enough to go out and hit golf shots with his son, uh, and, and I'm going to leave it at that, Garrett. I, I think it's um, I, 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 I'm I'm tickled to see the two of them together. I think that the you know, the, the times that I've been around Tiger that have been away from a media responsibility. Um, I, I always ask him about his kids and it's a very good conversation started with anybody. If you yeah. know that a, a player has children because it is among, if not their, their favorite subjects, among their favorite subjects. And so um, I, I know what Charlie means to him, and most people do, just like it would it'd be true of you as a father. Um, I, you know, I, I think, it's, I think it, it's great to see them together. It's uncanny, their mannerisms, and how similar they are <laughs> in terms of their body language, their, their, their little idiosyncrasies. Um, but, you know, with respect to Tiger, you know, look, it's before his birthday and he's hitting golf shots and he's going to play a little competition with his son this weekend. And no way in the world did I think based on what you and I both learned in the aftermath of his accident that we think that he was going to be this far along. And, and, it, and it leaves the specter wide open as to is it really possible that he might play competitive golf at the highest level next year. I, I think it's it's a reasonable thing for us to to let marinate, but I'm not going to draw any conclusions one way or another at all based on this weekend. This is it's a joyful time for him. And and I've been around that event. And you want to see fathers just gushing with pride <laughs> and joy being around their kids. It's really a great, it's a great week. Well, and the dynamic too, uh, we are so lucky not to just have him playing before his birthday, as you said. It is flat out remarkable that here he is after that accident in, in February. He's standing and he's playing in a golf tournament with Charlie. But the fact that he's with the Thomases, people that they go to get to each other's house on Christmas, okay? And, and the Thomases won last year, defending champions, Mike Thomas, they shot a, what, a combined 58. 
that tell me about what we make of, of them together this weekend. How cool is this? It's, I, you know what, Garrett, I think it's another reminder of one of the great unique things about the game of golf is that it's, it's a timeless participatory endeavor to go out and play golf and that you can play of, of all ages, but you know, it's, it's not that dissimilar from the fact that Tiger spawned multiple generations of golfers at every level, including someone like Justin Thomas, who is, you know, he's a 28 year old guy now who is in, you know, the, the real prime of, of his career in terms of his, his intellect about the game, his physical weapons, and the fact that he can be out there playing with his dad and, and with somebody who really inspired him to play the game in Tiger, I, you know, Phil was a great story in, in the month of May when he won the PGA after 50. I, you know, the, the, the longevity that the game provides all of us, regardless of your skill level, is something that I think is the most redeemable thing about the game, that, that you and I can go out and play with people yeah. who may be of similar ability, but not necessarily of the similar vintage. That's why I, I, I fell in love with golf because it gave me time with my dad. And, and we found, we, we found common interest beyond the game of golf in the time that we spent together. And I think it's, it's, you know, it may sound sappy, but it's the fellowship. I mean, seriously. And I, 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 to see Justin Thomas being able to, to be out there playing golf and needling tiger and them giving each other the business. Awesome. It is. It's amazing that the Tigers let himself get to this point, which I think is phenomenal. That he's so much more open than he's been in the past. It seems like. Yeah, there's no question. I, I think that, you know, everybody's perspective in life changes based on your life experiences. And I think naturally, as we get a little bit older, we get a little bit more nostalgic. We're not as hyper competitive. It doesn't mean that within the moment that he can't be as steely um, and as icy as, as he's always been. But I do think that there is a, there's a reciprocity that the game kind of, you know, puts into your system that at some point you're going to give to whatever degree you want to, to a game that's given you so much. And, and that's true of him. I, I never thought that he would contribute to team golf to the degree that he is now with his involvement in the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup, having captained a team. This was somebody who was totally averse to the team component. He was, a, he was a singular figure that thought solely as well he should have about his own pursuits. And now he shares ideas and thoughts and, and, and strategy with, with guys who are a little bit older and Steve Tricker and all these players who are younger than him. That, that is, I mean, that, that's a special thing. Yeah, and as you saw with uh, Daniel Rappaport's tweet, uh, Tiger on the first tee today, gawking at Bryson numbers uh, with Matt Kuchar, his longtime buddy, going like, it's Carrie's 363. That was the least he had in the Bahamas. What is going on? I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, you know, he's he is – nobody can geek out. We, you and I are both geeks when it comes to the game and covering the game, following the game, watching it, trying to play it. Um, but he's he is – He's not just the supreme being when it comes to playing. He is he he consumes golf from the, the equipment side, the stylistic side, um, the, the gamesmanship, the competitiveness. He, nobody can geek out like he can. 
Yeah. And I know his son, obviously we talk about father son relationships here with Charlie playing. What is the right way to look at this? Cause you already see on Twitter, there's so many people going, we are live tweeting a 12 year olds round, like journalists across the world are live tweeting that. So, so what do you feel is the right perspective to look at, at, at a weekend like this with Charlie? I, I think the right perspective is to accept the fact that there is that, that somebody like Charlie and, and, and it happens to players on a regular basis, but this is different. This is a 12 year old kid um, that he is being sucked into this vortex of, of notoriety and, and public awareness because of his father. And, and that, that please let's leave it at that. If you want to tweet about him hitting a good shot in the bat, that, that's, that's all fine. But once this yeah. weekend is over, let, let him just progress in life uh, in, in a, with a level of anonymity that has already been stripped away from him simply because of his last name that, you know, hopefully he can go to school and, and, you know, he can be a normal kid and, and then progress, you know, if it's through college and beyond. Um, but look, any of these great players will tell you that as much of the advantages that come with being the, the offspring of a famous golfer comes a, a, a potential burden as well. And, and I don't want any kid to feel a burden about no. trying to, 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 to be whatever it is that he chooses to be, um, where it is. And this weekend, oh, get it, just leave it at that. So we talk about Charlie, a young guy, 12 year old, but now I think about you, Gary, at the age of six, at the age of six, you're sitting in Charlotte, North Carolina right now, but at the age of six, your dad takes you to a driving range in Boone, North Carolina, way out to the West, I don't know, 150 miles from where you are now. you, You get started in golf then. What what has has the uh, I, I, you talk about fellowship, but what has the fellowship been like with the people you've met in this game over these you know the last forty five years? It's been outside of my family, um, the most fulfilling and and worthwhile thing that that I have in my life. It's the most redeemable um, you know aspects of my life are the relationships that have been fostered um, through the years with people that that you know, come into my life through the game of golf. Uh, some of them have been colleagues that become personal friends. Others were acquaintances that became lifelong friends. My, my, my dearest friend in the world uh, was somebody who did not play golf. And he, I was working as an assistant professional at Greensburg Country Club. Uh, I actually hired him as a cart boy. He was graduating from college. He played college football. And me just trying to teach him fundamental things about the game. He became passionate about it. And in the most rewarding time that we spend together now in our lives are, are, are finding ways to get together to play golf. And that's just one example. I, I, you know, I learned this from my dad, my dad, you know, played a fair amount of corporate golf, but he dragged me everywhere, every, everywhere by and large that he went to play. Uh, I was competent enough at a pretty young age that he took me there and it gave me time with him. And, and it was, it was invaluable time because I was in around his, his, his peer group. And I, I always like being around older people. I don't know yeah. why I just, I like the conversations and I, I knew when I was encroaching upon their own time, like, Hey, let's get the 15 year old kid out of the room. Let's, you know, play <laughs> some, you know, let's play some poker and drink some beers and send the kid off to bed. I kind of knew my boundaries um, but you know, when I think about it now, like I, 
you know, I recently went up to Pittsburgh and played a couple of days at Oakmont. And it was with eight buddies that have all come into my life at, at various times in my life from a guy in San Francisco to a couple friends from Philadelphia to a, a couple guys here from Charlotte. We all got together in Pittsburgh and played golf for two days at one of the most diabolically challenging. And I know you were out there for the U.S. <laughs> Amateur, uh, but it's like it's like beautiful punishment to go out on that golf course and play. Oh, my God. That, and that place, it's 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 so if you love history, I mean, the, the, the church oh. pew bunkers is just starting with the church pew bunkers. There's so the, the long part three, eight, you're, then you walk over the turnpike. I mean, there are just so many pinch yourself moments, even within one round. <laughs> it, it is. And I, you know, I think I, I love, I love the old clubhouses. Now it's great to have all the, the trappings of these new facilities with, you know, unlimited flat screens and the, the soft comfy couches. But give me the, the non-air conditioned upstairs at the at in the Oakmont men's locker room and just let me just let me go through every little nook and cranny. Not to mention as you walk up the staircase, they have the scoreboards, the handwritten scoreboards from 1973 and 1983 and 1994. And you're looking at these names from these US Opens. And it's and some of the names are fading because it was Magic Marker Inc. No, uh, Oakmont is just so, so epic. And I think about that wall, that wall of U.S. Open trophies that you walk into and you see, I don't know how many, there are nine, I think, nine U.S. Opens there. Uh, but you did mention your dad, though, and I love your dad, Buck. Um, I, I want to understand what he taught you. If there's a lesson he taught you either with his speech or with his actions that, is, that has helped you. I'll give you an example with my dad, Brian Johnston. He taught me. We grew up in, I grew up in Sacramento, California, small town, right? There was only one team, one NBA team was the Sacramento Kings. And we're shopping at the local CVS one day. And Walt Williams, who played at Maryland in the 1980s, and and Williams with the high socks, he played for the Kings for many years. And he was kind of one of the, one of the guys that everybody knew around the neighborhoods. And my dad went straight up to Walt Williams and said, Walt, hey, how you doing? He acted like he knew him. And he said, well, this is my son. This is my son, Garrett, Garrett Johnson. Hey, and Walt played along and it was brilliant. My dad set the tone and he went, it didn't matter who it was. If it was Walt Williams, it was a superstar. I brought him uh, to the arena when I worked at the Sacramento Kings way back 10 years ago. And he went, went up straight up to Steve Nash, a two-time back-to-back MVP player in his prime and just had a conversation with him. So my dad, even without telling me the science of it all, taught me, Garrett, you can go up to anybody. You can go, literally go up to anybody and start a conversation. And in my case, where the, where the rubber met, met the road, I, I interviewed Tiger Woods at Augusta. I was the only person, the only reporter that interviewed and got a one-on-one with him the, the year he won in 2019 on the Sunday before. And a lot of that traces back to just seeing it, seeing my dad do that. It's just amazing. It's an amazing gift that he's passed on to me. For you, with your dad, Buck, like what, what have you learned uh, from him? Oh, gosh. You know, first of all, I think that's it's a great lesson. It's a great lesson that everybody's approachable. And I think in that you learn that you should in turn be approachable as well. There are a couple of things in particular as it applies to life uh, that my father imparted upon me. One, it was, as you mentioned, it wasn't words, it was actions. Uh, My father had had an extraordinary ability uh, to, to make people feel their absolute greatest worth. 
Um, my dad never measured anybody by looking at them up and down. My dad measured people by looking them in the eye and making them feel uh, that, that they had as much value as they should or, or should feel that they have. Um, and, and that's something that I, I think it goes a long way in, in interpersonal relationships. And then the other thing that my dad, my dad was a very good college baseball player and my dad loved the team concept. And he also taught leadership. So he was, he was responsible for the advancement of a lot of men and women in, in, in his corporate community. Uh, but there's something that he said to me and he lived it because of the way he led people. He said, Gary, there's very few rewards in life that are greater than collective achievement. And, and that applies to everything, like the dynamic that you have with your wife and your family, you're a team and, and accomplishing things together. And then when you expand that to, whether it be you, you know your work family, or if if you you choose to to get involved in a in a team concept, whether whether it be athletically, or or through an organization, that it's great to do something alone, and there's great personal pride that comes with that, but there's nothing better than doing it with other people, because it shows not only a willingness to make sacrifice, uh, but also that you are a good teammate. And, and those things are fundamental to trust and belief and commitment. And so I have, you know, I, I would say that to, to my colleagues at Golf Channel, if we had a great show, I didn't, it wasn't like I said it all the time, but there's nothing better than doing it together. There's nothing better um, because those memories are never going to go away. And that's why, you know, these teams that have these reunions and you look at them and go, God, that's really cool. It's beyond cool. And I was recently with the guy who was on the 1988 uh, Notre Dame National Championship football team. All those guys uh, from that Lou Holtz team, they're all like glue still because they did it together. Um, and huge. all the bad days and all the <laughs> practice and all the, all the work and all the pain. Um, and with that came the reward. And not just of winning, but winning together. And that that is... That is a central part of, of, you know, what I think about and what I'd like to try to do as, as a person and, and contributing. And, and there is, you know, look, to, to give something to somebody is a lot better than to get something from anyone. And to give of yourself to other people is, is a great quality. And that was, that was central to the way that my dad conducted his life. Hundred percent. Well, and I think about giving. You were out the Ryder Cup and for giving for other people. And Rory's emotion there at the end of that Ryder yes. Cup. I mean, what did you make of, of the the takeaway from from seeing Rory in a very sensitive light like that? Uh, what I what I took from it is that he's he has as much depth uh, to him as a person as I thought he did going all the way back to the first time I spent any time with him. And Garrett, how I knew that he was uh, a selfless person in a giving person was because he was a really good listener. And listening to me is representative of somebody who's not self-centered. And, and that's not easily achieved when you're an only child like he is. You know, his parents devoted everything to making sure that he had every opportunity, but he never, he never turned it into entitlement. He, turned, he, he always kept it as a privilege. And I think, you know, when he came to the Ryder Cup in 2010 for the first time and he didn't really understand it. And that was, I, I, I totally got it. And there've been other guys before him that didn't get it. But what he, what he, 
you know, what he has found in that family, that European community is a sense of togetherness. And, and I, I go back to the fact that, you know, he didn't have siblings. And, yeah. and I think to, to, to do something with other people, uh, to some degree, that was very new to him. Team golf, he didn't play college golf. He was almost set to go to East Tennessee State, and he chose not to. So this has been a singular pursuit, but he, he has a giving soul to him and to be able to give to other people. And one other thing about him, and it wasn't just the way he, he emoted after it was over this year. If you look at him historically in this competition, one thing you'll notice, he'll play with anybody. On the first team in, in Paris, who did he show up with? <laughs> Torbjorn Olesen. It Love wasn't it. like, well, you don't have a high <clears throat> enough profile for me. I'll play with anybody, anytime, anywhere. That's a great teammate. Yeah, he's really shown an amazing ability to play with anybody. Uh, you know, I can even think back. I, I'm wearing this U.S. Open Congressional 2011. He would go on to win that. But remember, you caddied for him uh, a month <laughs> before at Memorial, and, and you learned so much about the guy. Uh, but even in 2011, he played a practice round with Shane Lowry, who at that time, no one else really knew outside of Ireland. But, of course, Rory pl- uh, grew up playing junior golf, maybe got some semblance of uh, a camaraderie with golf uh, with, with a guy like that. But I, I love those throwback moments, though. I mean, you, you see, as I mentioned there with Rory there, what did you take away from the aftermath of such a close call, 2011 uh, at the Masters? And then there you were caddying with them, I believe, there at Memorial just a month later. Yeah, you know, Garrett, first of all, I appreciate not only your 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 preparation, but your memory as well. He, um, I reached out. He was being represented by Chubby Chandler at that time. Uh, with with ISM and there was a guy Eric Bechtel who who was a friend of mine who had, who had gone to work for them as a matter of fact it was ISM the American division of ISM uh, was was purchased by um, uh, Vince McMahon's son so Shane McMahon and Eric the, the guy that I knew uh, were went over to the Open Championship and and you know, Shane was looking around. He didn't know golf. And he's like, that guy, that guy, that guy. And, and Eric's like, that's Ricky Fowler. He's, he's accounted for. Anyway, but because of the relationship that, that Rory had, Eric became friendly with him. And so after the Masters, when, you know, what happened in that final round, uh, being paired with Angel Cabrera, who Rory, who plays very quickly, he said, he actually made me play too fast. And he got yeah. out of his rhythm. Mm. So anyway, I said, to, I said to Eric, I said, here's what I want to do. I, I do not want to relive what happened at Augusta National, but he had played in Charlotte and this was going to be his only other start before going to congressional for the next major championship. And I said, I don't know him. I'd like to spend a little time around him and I'd like to humanize him to, to whatever degree that we can. So he was, he was agreeable to do it. And so you know, I, I spent the day, you know, just talking to him. We had him mic'd up. We had the camera crew out there. We turned it into a feature. <laughs> and as I mentioned, Garrett, the, the thing that struck me when I came back and, and the people at Golf Channel asked me, you know, what was he like? And I said, well, he was a delightful guy, um, but he was a really good listener. And, and that, that held true. I, I did the same exercise with Jordan Spieth in 2014. Circumstances at the Masters were different with him and Bubba, but nonetheless, and, and by the way, when he left Memorial that week, he finished tied for fifth that week at the Memorial, he had a good week. 
he was going to Haiti that next wow. day yeah. uh, to, to, to get a glimpse through, um, you know, through his own lens of the devastation of what had happened to them in the aftermath of that earthquake. And so, you know, look, he already had a good perspective on things. He goes to Haiti. He realizes, look, I just played golf. And then he showed up <laughs> congressional. He found a soft golf course. And then he just completely boat raced the field um, and, and became, you know, he was already becoming a star, but became, you know, a, a global star in the game, you know, immediately after that. For sure. No, he, he definitely did. And, um, you know, we're, we've talked about some amazing golf courses just in, in the few minutes here. We've talked about Oakmont, Congressional, and some of these classics. But one of my favorite subjects ever, ever, Gary, is Scotland, golf in Scotland. And we're coming up on the Open Championship back at the old course. And I know how much you love the old course. But talk to our, our golf audience here for a minute and, and just what the importance of at some point in your life, you have to go to the open and it ideally you want to go when, or I should say you want to go to St. Andrews, but you want to go there when the open's going on the vibe, the people in the town, the Dunvegan hotel, the history. What, what is it that you would encourage fans to do? Well, you know, look, if you, if you can, you know, put together the, the money to go over and it's really, you know, the things have become, you know, I haven't looked at airfares lately as far as going over and, you know, whether it's landing at Edinburgh or Glasgow or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, if you really love the game to, to go over and, and not only, you know, absorb the, the, the culture of golf as it's woven into the society of, of the Scottish people. I mean, it is, you know, we talk about the passion that people have for the National Football League and in college football in this country. Golf is a big four sport. Uh, you know, soccer is an enormous thing, obviously. Formula One, golf, rugby. Um, but when you go over there, let's say you, you start in the southwest of Scotland and you, and you go and you play Western Gales and you play Troon, you play Turnberry uh, and you play Prestwick, where, you know, Prestwick is, was home <laughs> to the first 12 Open Championships. You know, that alone, the first time I went over there, we landed uh, on a Friday morning and, you know, I didn't really sleep on the plane and it was me and my father and we played Presswick that morning and it's quirky and it's funky uh, and the rail line is right up against that first tee and these, these trains are just ripping by, but there's a charm to it where in this country it would be like, okay, this is, you know, you're <laughs> kind of encroaching upon my sensibilities here. But you can go around to the different pockets of whether it's in the Southwest or going to the Highlands or going to, you know, whether it's anchoring down around uh, St. Andrews or even in Gullen. And you have North Berwick there. You have London Links. You have Carnoustie. You have the Old Course. You have Kings Barnes. It's just it's such an embarrassment of riches. Uh, Crail is right near. Um, and Andrews, right yeah. The old course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it is, again, uh, there's nothing quite like it. I think, I think Ireland provides the same type of experience. It doesn't have quite the depth of, of really great golf, but the top five is right there. And, and to go, like you said, through St. Andrews, not only culturally, but, but the history of the town and the university 
where where you know that is where Prince William, who's going to be the king of England, you know, chose to go to college. Um, yeah. You know, which was which was you know kind of a long shot. People didn't expect him to do that. They were thinking, well, he's going to go to Oxford, or you know, he'll go to Cambridge. No, no, he went to St Andrews. Um, and I just think that being in that town when I was turning fifty. My wife asked me in advance of, of my birthday, what do you want for your 50th birthday? And I said, I don't, I, and I, yeah, we all want something. Right. But I'm like, I, I don't really know. She's like, no, 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 what do you want? And I said, you know what? I want to walk over that bridge again. I'm not saying it's going to be for the last time, but I want to walk over that bridge again. And we went over there and I only played two rounds of golf. The, the rest of the time we, you know, we went horseback riding and I went trout fishing um, we stayed five miles outside of St. Andrews at this, this magnificent castle. Um, and we, it was just, it was perfect. It was, it was just the, and that's why, I mean, it just, it gets to you. It really does get to you if you go over there. It does. Yeah. And, and especially during the open championship, we've got, it is history happening right in front of us at one of the great places in all golf. So, so this summer is going to be phenomenal for any fans that can make it out there. This is almost a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, it is. I, I, I went, you know, like you said, I went uh, another time with my dad in 2002 um, and it, the open was at Mirfield, And that was the year that Ernie Els wanted a playoff. And we got to play Mirrorfield two days after we played on that Tuesday following the open championship. And, but, but we stayed, we stayed and played for another week. And so to go over there and, and to be there and to, 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 to just the passion of the fans. And we didn't make it the end of the trip. We made it the beginning of the trip. And so you talk about adrenaline to play <laughs> golf after being at the open championship. It was, it was, it was, such a special event and and i think it is a must sporting event if you love sports i haven't been to wimbledon and that's kind of number one on my bucket list i think the open championship along with the masters are quintessential global sporting events that you have to try to get to at least once 100 percent. when you talk about adrenaline being around those courses uh, my first time ever there 2015 right the last time the open was yep. at st andrews and there the week before I got in, I flew in, and I covered the Scottish Open on the Wednesday, right? And Wednesday night, I get to St. Andrews. I'm lucky enough to be on the old Russex Hotel. I'm in the uh, Tom Morris Jr. suite, which is the one right there. It's got its own balcony. It's the best place you could possibly be. I, I, I slept an hour that night, right? Because, I mean, yeah. come on. You're seeing the history over the walls, even within your own suite. I woke up, and I looked out the window at, to the yellow score, score uh, scoreboard there. It, if that doesn't wake you up you don't have a heartbeat. Okay. No. So I get out there and I walk the course. This is at 3.30 a.m., mind you. It's early morning, but it's light because it's so far north at Scotland. I walked the course for three and a half hours and just longer than I expected. And to the point where I was late to the airport in Edinburgh there, uh, picking my wife up, who is also coming on the trip. So, <laughs> hey, listen, adrenaline's a real thing, my friend, especially when it comes to Scotland. Yes, it is. I, and that I've stayed in that hotel um, and I actually went there in the winter time. I, I went over there for uh, back, you know, when they when they announced those significant significant potential changes to the rules. Um, you know, they had that they had that period that the comment period. So 
I was sent over there when they announced the proposed rule changes and was there to interview um, Martin Slumbers. And it was in the month of February. And so the days were obviously very, very short, didn't play golf. But again, I just, I, I walking through the town and staying at, I stayed in the John Daly suite. Uh, it also, <laughs> also looked out over the golf course. It's kind of a modest sized room, but I loved it. I, I mean, I, I like you, I'd wake up at all, you know, all hours and I just looked out the window and there's the RNA building. I, I, it's just awesome. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a place that a lot of listeners would know, right? They would know St. Andrews. They would know the RNA building, but a course that I love in Scotland, and I know it's in your top five North Berwick. They may yes. not have heard of that course. It's so quirky. I mean, you get to the 13th hole and you've got a, you literally have a stone wall that's right up against the green. And I chipped right into the stone wall and it came right back to me almost, and it almost hit me. So, but, but to me, it's about embracing the differences of that kind of links course. So many different fun bounces. And what do you make of North Berwick? And, and to, to, to those fans that haven't been out there yet, what would you say? Uh, it's genius. I mean, it, it, it is. And again, you know, the, the quirkiness of having a, a, an ancient stone wall that bisects, you know, kind of the end of the fairway to, to the fronting of that, that, that green. Uh, yeah, it's different, but it also, you know, it has the very famous Redan as you're playing toward the clubhouse and the closing holes. You know, it's, it, it really is that, that true links that, you know, you play out and then you, you loop around and then you, you play back into the clubhouse. Um, I think that that is as, as good a composite of holes uh, to, to examine, you know, true great links design uh, because every wind direction is a different challenge. And I, I put that among the absolute best golf courses in the world. And it neighbors, you know, Gullen and Gullen has a couple of golf courses and Mirfield is absolutely in my top five. It is, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that they have done what they've done as far as their membership. Because as much as I respect, you know, the, 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 you know, the right to association and, and, and that, but when you run a very public golf tournament, you have a public responsibility, and, and particularly as it pertains to an association with the governing body, which is responsible for the governing and, and, and really the promoting of the game of golf. So, I, you know, not to get off on a tangent, but I'm glad that Muirfield's in the place that they're in and also that they're still in the open rota. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned Mirfield. You had a pretty cool moment there. You said you, your dad yeah. took you there in your mid-20s. You guys are playing that course, and you just had a kind of a, an amazing kind of emotional moment with your dad there, right? I did, Garrett. I, um, you know, I was, like you said, I was in my mid-20s. I, I, I consider myself, and people who know me will, you know, certainly concur. I'm a sentimental person. But when you're in your mid-20s, uh, I, I wasn't necessarily struck, <laughs> struck by things to the degree that I was on that day. Um, and in the afternoon at Mirfield, you play alternate shot. And so I left the seventh green and I was walking down the eighth fairway about to the place that my, I figured my dad would, would put his tee shot. And I look back and I, I could see his silhouette on the eighth tee. And I, I, it struck me how much I loved him and, um, you know, how fortunate I was to have him as a father. I, yeah. it's something I shared on, on on the night before my wedding, when I was trying to explain, you know, the love that I, I felt for my wife, that, that it was something that I'd only felt one other time. Um, and yeah, that, that, that will always, that, that little piece of real estate standing there, 
with a little moment of solitude by myself, looking back at a man who, you know, raised me and, and tried to instill in me certain things that were redeemable. I, it was one of the most important seminal moments of my life. Yeah, that is, that's pretty amazing. Seminal. And of course, at that time, of course, in your mid twenties, you are still being shaped and, and what you, uh, what you believe and, and things like that. That's really cool uh, moment for you. As we wrap up here, it's been a blast so far, but 2022, I had to ask you bold prediction. What's your boldest prediction for this year? Uh, My boldest prediction is I think that uh, Jordan Spieth is going to win a major. Uh, And I don't know necessarily how bold that is, but again, we're now, you know, come the open championship, he'd be five years removed from his last major championship victory in 2017 at the open. I I like, I always like his chances at Augusta national. Um, The other bold prediction that I will make is that the international President's Cup team will will win the President's Cup on U.S. Wow. soil. I, Garrett, I think that that team, I think Trent Rimmelman knows that he's got kind of an embarrassment of young riches. Um, I think he will he will kind of couple the, the veteran presence of Louis Eustazen and Adam Scott and, and uh, Hideki Matsuyama uh, with, with even more youth. I, I think, you know, we saw Sunjay M, Abraham Answer, Look, the South Africans have a lot of great young talent. I think, a, a, you know, a Lucas Herbert, who we've already seen, he won a golf tournament in Bermuda. Um, I, I think that the international team may, and I, I, this is not my original thought. This was Jaime Diaz. Jaime Diaz thinks the International President's Cup team will be better over the next 10 years than the European Ryder Cup team. Ooh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Keith wins a major and Trevor Immelman's team wins the President's Cup. I like what you said about Spieth winning a major because not only is he always a great choice for Augusta because of his putting and just his overall sensibility, like it's great, great play. Yeah. But also the old course. I mean, yes. the, the thoughts of the Grand Slam were still alive on Monday afternoon of the Open Championship. It finished that Monday in 2015 at 3 p.m., 4 yes. p.m. The sun's getting ready to set and it's still a chance that maybe he could win three in a row. The fact that he made it that far, he got to the 77 second hole it didn't make the birdie to go to the playoff it is it's still uh, I, I it still hurts right it, it, no I'm with you I I I you know when he made the putt on 16 it's like oh my god this this is happening like this is really happening and then obviously bogeyed 17 and he didn't make birdie on 18 but you're right I think St. Andrews uh with his with his vision his creativity and imagination uh, he's a shot out of the playoff in 2015. I'll tell you, the PGA Championship would complete the career Grand Slam for him. And I think he's going to find Southern Hills in the Gilhans restoration. It's going to fit his eye. Um, you know, that's got some uneven lies and requires uh, some ingenuity. And like at every major championship, chipping and putting, you're going you're gonna to miss a requisite number of greens. Um, I think he's set up uh, to have a big, big year. Yeah, I, I want to get your quick thought as we wrap up here on, on John Rahm. And, and I yeah. would say my bold prediction for 2022 is that Rahm could easily win multiple majors. And I say that because we look at his amazing season last year. He played so well at Memorial and he had a six-shot lead. That didn't count. All these high watermarks, nowhere in there 
in the high water marks, do we even talk about him having basically the round of the day at Augusta on Sunday? This is a guy who's only played Augusta a few times and he's figuring out the Sunday locations right in kind of under the radar. You know, while we're focused, so hyper-focused on the leaders at Augusta, Rom is out there po- posting Sunday numbers at Augusta for a backdoor top five finish. The same thing happened at the Open Championship. He ran out of holes at the Open, and nobody talks about how well he played there when we talk about the breadth and the strength of what could have been a player of the year campaign by Rom is, is how well he played at the Open. It just the iron play, everything was dialed in. So those two, those two majors to me fit perfectly for him, the old course. And of course, uh, Augusta, but what do you think about Ron for 2022? I, I think, I think big things. Uh, I'm, I'm very bullish on him long-term uh, because I think that he is, I, I think that for somebody who's 26 years of age, I think he's already <laughs> gotten past Garrett to, to, to varying degrees. I think players have a, a clunky period of, of trying to find the balance and how much participation they're going to contribute to social media and, and how, how thoughtful their answers are going to be with the assembled traditional media, uh, as well as trying to find a balance in, in, in maybe getting into a relationship. Look, not only is he married, he's got a child. Uh, and I think that, that he is already, he's already finding certain balances in his life that take other players longer to figure out. And I think as, as I had this conversation with Brandel the other day, one of the things I asked him was who plays with joy? Like who plays with real joy now? And I think he's one of them, even though he, he gets, he can run hot. It's not self-defeating. It's just, it's, it's anger based on execution and he and immediately gets it out of his system. I think he has a passion for the game. I think he has, a desire to understand and have context historically about the game. I think he's one of the most important figures in golf. Um, and I think you thinking that he can win multiple majors. And, and to your point about Augusta, which is a really good one, when you look at the gestation period that usually is required of winners, it usually is around that fourth to sixth start that you see first-time winners at Augusta National. They, they are starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together uh, to, to eventually figure out where I need to miss, where I need to take chances, you know, associate some analytics to your overall strategy, and then to have the nerve and, and, the, and the resolve to pull it off because there's such immense pressure, and he's got all of those skills. Great stuff. Gary, been a blast. Uh, join in here on, on Beyond the Clubhouse. Thanks for taking some time, and uh, looking forward to a great 2022. I am too, buddy. Happy holidays. It's great being with you. I look forward to seeing you real soon. All right. Big time. Thanks to Gary Williams for coming on. I love the stories we swapped there about Scotland. Of course, the old course, North Berwick. Many of you may not have heard or been at least been to North Berwick. Uh, It's a must play. So many fun holes on that golf course. As I mentioned, the Stonewall through through the course. But with Gary, though, you can tell so much. His dad meant so much to him in his life, and, and it was cool to hear um, his perspective on what his dad taught him. And now, uh, yeah, just a lot going on, a lot of great things going on for Gary Williams. So hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll catch up soon here on Beyond the Clubhouse. <laughs>